Today on This Week Health. In medicine specifically, data sets are very, very small. Labeled data sets for clinical imaging are microscopic. You really have to be able to evaluate the size of the data set, the organizations where these data sets were obtained, and even beyond that, what scanners were they performed on? Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Hello, Brett Oliver here, family physician and CMIO for Baptist Health in Kentucky and Indiana. And I am excited today to have Dr. Joey Bargo with me. He is a practicing radiologist, but for today's discussion, I'm gonna focus a little bit more on his other job as a board certified clinical informaticist and the vice president of clinical information at Think Health. Joey, welcome, it's great to see you and have the opportunity to pick your brain a little bit. Thanks, Brett, happy to be here and I appreciate the invite to come on and have this discussion today. Absolutely. Well, could you start a little bit just with your background? Like, how did you get into AI machine learning? And then maybe as a corollary to that, how does your physician education and uh, influence either the companies you work for or just how you approach things with AI? Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, my background in formal training in medicine is within a diagnostic radiology. I still practice clinically about 50% of the time. Did residency training at University of Kentucky. And even as early as in residency, I really started to develop an interest in data structures in general, and more specifically, unstructured data structure like we see in medicine and data mining specifically out of radiology reports. For about the last 10 years, sort of incorporated in with clinical practice, I've been heavily involved in not only my own organization with clinical informatics, population health type projects, but also involved with ACR, Data Science Institute, RSNA, and a lot of the folks that are leading these initiatives in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Just in terms of my role with industry and the way I see physicians and providers' roles in industry in general, sometimes it's got a little bit of that icky feel amongst clinicians, but I think just like hospital administration, I think those partnerships with both industry, government are how physicians are really able to guide and make healthcare what it is. All those partners really have to come together and it requires physician leadership to really massage that into what we want to see it become, which is ultimately good for the patient. Absolutely. I'm curious, when you were starting to play around with the unstructured data in your residency, were there clinical problems that you were seeing that that were going on un, unaddressed and that's kind of what got you into it or was it more just the technical aspect of saying hey we could do something with all this unstructured data well certainly the technical interest has always been something that i've had and drives me but it was definitely a clinical issue that still even exists today which is that of data mining specifically around the radiology reporting radiologists have have been leading the way in having our electronic notes be in the system for a very long time. But even with all the structure we can apply to the reports and all the different things we can do, the data mining has been a significant limitation. So early in residency, we started on a major project at UK to start structured reporting, really one of the first in the nation to create a report repository with the end goal of data mining. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what true AI algorithms are actually being used in radiology practice today? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question and important to look at because I think not unlike maybe Netflix 10 years ago, they were starting to use AI and a lot of folks really didn't even know it. It was in use in a product they were using daily. I think similar is true within radiology realm right now. Radiologists, including myself, and probably a vast majority of radiology groups across the nation are using AI products every day, maybe even unknown to other providers, hospital leadership, and patients. Some of the use cases that we use daily more often revolve around stroke imaging. At this time, it's probably the most common use case in that things like if there's an obstruction in a blood vessel or an occlusion in the intracranial vasculature, we have AI algorithms that can help detect that and then give us really a second set of eyes. The other types of things we see it used for pretty commonly or our detection of intracranial hemorrhages that are acute. Again, it's that second set of eyes sort of helping us, but it's also helping to do things like drive that study to the top of the list in terms of priority. So we're really seeing AI become sort of an assistant, second set of eyes. It's not really going to be taking my job anytime soon. I can attest to that, but it is very beneficial in in having that sort of backup. Additionally, we see it used in what would be considered CAD-type products for both mammography, also for things like pulmonary nodule detection. That's a pretty common use case that we're using those for. Some of the you know, lesser known things would be things such that I'm working on with Think Health would be in the use of machine learning, artificial intelligence after the report has been created to pull out incidental findings and those types of things to help make sure those patients don't slip through the cracks and they're appropriately managed. Gotcha, gotcha. It's good stuff. What are the limitations to the approaches that companies are taking with AI today? And are there solutions to overcome those or are they always going to be limitations that we see? Yes and yes. Really, the I see some of the major limitations right now that will prevent what I would consider mass adoption at scale uh, are a couple. First of all, is really on the vendor and what I consider the usability of the software, they're still somewhat disparate in that I may have a software, AI software looking for large vessel occlusion. I may have one looking for bone fractures. I may have one looking for pulmonary nodules. These are still fairly disparate systems. And anytime you're having to break out of your traditional workflow that's not well incorporated, there's room for error, there's room for oversight, and there's just obviously inefficiency. That's a major problem I see. But along with that problem, probably more, maybe even more important is the fact that the user interfaces still aren't really designed to capture end user feedback in a way that can help maintain quality assurance. There's really no feedback mechanism that's convenient that I can click on something it's a false positive and that gets reported back to the vendor. And not only is that a limitation in the ability for them to constantly improve their algorithms, probably even more important that we don't understand at a institution level, for example, that what our true sensitivity specificities are, because we're typically using their generalizable globalized algorithms, which may or may not be performing well at our organization. And we really don't have that information to understand what that performance level is. Does that make the initial assessment for an organization of what data set the algorithm was trained on that much more important? I think it, yes. So there are two levels to that. You know, I think what we are seeing at some organizations and what we should see at most, anyone that are taking on the responsibility of employing these algorithms, 
are not only a machine learning team who really understands those initial data sets and helps evaluate not only how the algorithm works, but also how it may work at our own organization in testing, but setting up a continuous QA process to maintain that over time, that algorithm is getting better and potentially not causing harm to patients or, or certain inefficiencies in workflow. That makes sense. So that's one challenge. I, I'd really like to understand, because you've got to work with a lot of different organizations, what are some of the biggest challenges you see, besides one we just mentioned, when folks are evaluating algorithms, AI offerings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the fundamental issues that we have to address, and I have some theoretical ideas on how that will evolve in the future. But one of the theoretical issues that causes limitation of these algorithms being generalizable across organizations is that in medicine specifically, data sets are very, very small. Labeled data sets for clinical imaging are microscopic in terms of a Google algorithm that can scrape a picture of a dog (laughs) right off the web. There's a lot of pictures of dogs out there that are labeled. So there's certain pathology or pathologic findings on imaging that there are just no representative cases for. And you really have to be able to evaluate the size of the data set, the organizations where these data sets were obtained, and even beyond that, what scanners were they performed on? What technical parameters? Now, AI algorithms typically have mechanisms to work around those variabilities, but it's certainly something that really has to be evaluated pretty closely to anticipate what the generalization, what the performance is going to be at your own site. We'll get back to our show in just a bit. I'd love to have you join us next Thursday for a webinar. Don't pay the ransom. Cyber threats are mounting everywhere, especially in healthcare. Leaders from Thomas Jefferson University Health, as well as St. Luke's University Health System, and Rubrik are going to join us to discuss solutions around protecting all healthcare data, even Epic in operations on Azure. This webinar will be on Thursday, August 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. You can register now at thisweekhealth.com or by clicking on the registration link in the description below. Now, back to our show. Do you see these organizations utilizing? Because I think one of the hesitations from clinicians is, where are the double-blinded placebo-controlled studies that this is better? And the medicine and the information that you and I are exposed to is moving so rapidly. I'm not sure that we're going to be able to go that route with everything. And do you see some just running these algorithms sort of behind the scenes with real data, but perhaps not showing it to a clinician until that they can put three or four months of data together and compare to the standard of care, utilizing that method, or has that got holes in and of itself as well? Yeah, so I I think that's the responsible pathway is running an algorithm behind the scenes without really displaying that. And I think that's a pretty common mechanism used by folks like Epic, for example. We've seen that in use in some of their machine learning algorithms to evaluate that performance over a time period and be okay with saying, hey, this is not going to work out. We can't refine this model well enough because of something in our data that we don't use it. Or we have to be okay with turning off models if they're not performing. And that comes in with a continuous process. I think another approach that we will probably see in the future as technology has sort of allowed for these transitions with more complex recurrent neural networks and convolutional networks and transformer networks more accessible to companies is something we're actually working on as well with a large university and has been championed out of MIT AI labs. It is a concept 
of unsupervised machine learning for labeling of data sets and constant reinforcement of the algorithm from end user feedback that's occurring anyway. To sort of break that down, it's almost a multimodal form of learning. So for example, an image comes across with a, a lung nodule that's three centimeters. The AI algorithm detects that or it doesn't detect that. And then using technologies like we would utilize at Think Health in the way of processing that radiology report information, you can bridge those two learning mechanisms together to see whether or not the radiologist interpreted that as a pulmonary nodule, whether they saw it in the AI algorithm or not, doesn't matter. It's whether or not they agree with that AI algorithm, put it into the radiology report, and then we mesh up those two to evaluate performance of the model. And I believe that will be somewhat of the golden grail in these universal lesion tagging systems. You can just get so many more use cases so much more rapidly, but also that's going to be the important aspect of our QA going forward. We're not going to burden the clinician to say whether or not the algorithm was right. We're going to take their end work product, see how they use that and see how that correlates into what the AI algorithm originally proposed. So I'm really excited to see what that develops into. I think that's probably the most scalable path forward in medicine right now to achieve larger labeled data sets and QA. Makes sense. It's exciting. It really is. So you mentioned something earlier, you at least alluded to it. I wanted to switch gears a bit and talk about transparency of these. And what do you think, what's the obligation for an organization, a practice, a company, when we're talking about transparency regarding the use of the algorithm in practice, is there a certain level of seriousness of an algorithm that needs to, you know, if we're talking about sepsis, then a provider needs to understand that this information being presented is being presented by an algorithm. Does the patient need to know and at what level? That's the one thing that I've struggled with a bit. Something very simple like an appointment opening. Does the patient need to understand that that was created by an AI algorithm versus maybe something on the radiology report or some of the things we're talking about? Thoughts on transparency? I think what we're currently seeing is it's almost like, for example, a, an airplane pilot who 99% of the time is probably using some form of assisted flying of the airplane, right? It's that other few percent of the time you've still got to have a pilot for, and we all want them on there, right? I, I think it's going to be the same with, with the clinical decision makers. I think First of all, it's required that once an algorithm delivers information, we as a provider take that information and review where it's coming from, and then we make the next step. That way we're always responsible, and I think that's the way everyone will want it to be, and we're depending on the algorithms to make it easier for us. With that said, I think it's absolutely should be required of the vendor to present that information in a way that makes it easy for them to quickly review understand how it came about its decision and understand the confidence interval of, are, are we 80% sure on this? Are we 90% and give a really nice breakdown of what the identified parameters are that's helping to make that decision. I think that takes a lot of the black boxness out of these. And when you really come down to it at the end of the day, there's not as much black boxes type effect as we would think in algorithms in medicine, because they are fairly variable and parameter driven. So there's always sort of that explainability. It gets a little more complex with computer vision, especially unsupervised approaches. You can have inserted bias into these algorithms that's gonna deliver some type of output that's just not expected and just not correct. 
And that's a little hard to explain to the end user, but it, again, it's on the vendor to present that in a way where they understand how that decision is being made fundamentally and can quickly either agree with that or disagree with it to drive management. So you think there's less proprietary information in the algorithm itself per se, that there's enough that can be exposed that a clinician can understand kind of where it came from? Because that is, that's a tough thing to understand here. This AI algorithm is telling me X is the best course of treatment. And yet I'm not allowed to understand how you got to that answer. You know what I mean? But you think you're saying that for a lot of the products that are out there, you should be able to reveal some of that without showing your secrets off. Yeah, I believe in medicine, it's a requirement. I think the algorithms should be reproducible and they should be able to be tested and reproduced. And certainly with as much open data as a company can provide. But I do believe that fundamentally, there's still things that are fairly hidden, right? I mean, so for example, if we present to a clinician that there were 10 parameters that went into a sepsis decision, you can show the relative weighting of those decisions without demonstrating the whole convolutional neural network that may have been involved in recalculating those percentages. Okay. And it still relatively makes sense. Yeah, I got you. Well, let's wrap up with a question of where do you see the biggest opportunities right now in healthcare? Obviously, radiology, I mean, I would think there, those are some opportunities right now for organizations for sure. So please comment there, but are there other specialty areas that you see rapidly developing where they might be a couple of years from now? Sure. Yeah. I have a lot of involvement with different specialties in the industry. I think radiology's, I think it's a big one, of course, but there are probably bigger and even more impactful opportunities within clinical, more what I would consider patient interaction acting type specialties in general, in that we have the opportunity with the amount of data that we have now flowing into large systems like Epic to use AI to become really an assistant to facilitate very efficient workflows, make sure things aren't slipping through the cracks and delivery of information to the clinician at the right time, the right information, the right time to really, really impact on how efficiently they can move throughout the course of the day without burning them out with a thousand different clicks or having to read all these different places in the chart, but also in a positive way to the patient to make sure certain things aren't slipping through. I think artificial intelligence and the use in the exam room and note assistance, I think is going to be huge. I mean, as clinicians, we're doing a lot of duplicative work that in other industries, you're just not seeing that because they've developed mechanisms to translate the work you're doing at that time into documentation. I'll be excited to see where that goes. I know a number of organizations are experimenting with that as well as big vendors. I think that'll be a big one. Other places that we probably don't think about as much unless we're in those niche specialties, but in things like surgery and in navigational interventional pulmonology, the robotics units, for example, really employ a lot of machine learning and AI and evaluation of how to get to certain lesions, how to do certain things, but also evaluation of performance and experience level of the surgeon, which is constantly re-helping them train in different mechanisms to improve their performance. Oh, wow. I wasn't familiar with that. That's awesome. That's some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it, it made me smile as some of the things in the exam room because, you know, we're not supposed to text and drive, right? You don't want to be distracted. And right. usually, usually whoever's leading the meeting is not taking notes. But yet, as a clinician, I'm supposed to listen to the patient gather that in, start making some plans and some ideas. But at the same time, let me document my note. Uh, right. 
Yeah, and it, it just seems like a crazy system that we've developed. But yeah, I'll be excited to see where that goes. Well, Joey, gosh, I feel like I'm just getting started here, but I appreciate your time and hopefully we can connect again because I've got lots of other questions and your wealth of information. So thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it, Brett. Thank you. I really love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. There's Keynote, Town Hall, and Newsroom. Check them out today, and thanks for listening. That's all for now.